We are starting a new teaching series today, and uh, uh, the title of the series is Matters of Life and Death. Matters of Life and Death. And this series was really strong upon our heart because we've been seeing a lot of both in Kauai Bible Church over the last six to nine months. We've been seeing a lot of new life with babies, and we've also had some very dear loved ones pass away. And so we thought it was important that we talked about these things, that we understand these things from a biblical perspective, that we understand life from a biblical perspective, and we also understand death, so that we do not grieve as those who have no hope, as the Bible says, but that we understand death and resurrection and eternal life and everything that God promises in that. And uh, so our core scripture for this series, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, says, for since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And so we're going to explore life and death from the beginning of life to the end of life to resurrection to eternity. We're going to spend this next month diving into this. And so part one, we're going to talk about born of the flesh. Now, I know biblically flesh usually has a negative connotation because it refers to the non-spiritual part of us, the part of us where sin abides. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today, I'm just talking about actually being physically born. Okay, that's, that's what we're going after right now, born of the flesh. And I would be remiss to dive into this topic if we did not first put up a photo. You got the photo, Antonio? Of Gunnar Trochi, who was just born on Thursday, I believe. And uh, so we rejoice with Robin and Lori and with Penny. And uh, uh, I lost count. Is this, this is Robin and Lori's eighth grandbaby? Is that right? Am I doing my math right? I'm pretty close. So, uh, so we celebrate new life as recently as three days ago. And Robin and Lori, if you're on the live stream and you're home with a new baby right now, uh, we rejoice with you. We love you guys. So we welcome Gunnar Trochi into the world. But if you've got your notes, uh, which you can find in your bulletin on the church app, they're attached to this video if you're watching it. They're attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast. Here's our big picture point today. Here's what we're going after. God knew us and had great plans for each one of us before he ever gave us life or formed us in the womb. Knowing this should give us a tremendous view of the value of every human being and the importance of every life. So this is what we're going to strive to achieve today. We want to understand the value of human life and then have that understanding change the way we live, right? We're not just seeking knowledge today. We're seeking for the Word of God to change the way we live. And that's where we want to grow. And so mainly, we're going to dig into Psalm 139, which was a beautiful song written by King David uh, to celebrate the, the creative process of, of, of a human child uh, being developed and being born. But let's just start with the idea of life in general, right? If we're going after this idea of life, you can look up uh, many different scientific definitions of life. Uh, this one just happens to come from the Encyclopedia Britannica. 
But what is life? Life is any system capable of performing functions, such as eating, metabolizing, excreting, breathing, moving, growing, reproducing, and responding to external stimuli. Right? So, but here's the thing. That can apply to every animal, to every plant, right? Life uh, would be described as uh, the geckos that run around our houses, Come on, the sea turtles that crawl up on the beach, the coconut tree and the coconuts, all of that is alive. But I want to talk about human life, that we go above and beyond just simply that, just simply being a, an organism that can perform some of these functions. And so we're going to start from the very beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then if we jump to chapter 2, it hones in more specifically on the creation of humanity and says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. I want to share with you three things this morning that elevates human life above all other creation. What is it that makes us distinct, unique, different, that the life we have is different than the life of the flowers or the life of the bullfrogs that we run over on our driveway when it's raining. Come on. What elevates human life? I'm going to give you three things. The first one is this, is the imago dei. The imago dei, which is Latin for the image of God. As humans, we were the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, does it mean that God is a bipedal creature that happens to stand upright? No, the Bible says God is spirit. So the fact that we are made in the image of God doesn't mean that this is what God looks like. So what does it mean? Well, it could refer to our shared characteristics, that we have intellect and the ability to create, that we have uh, morality uh, that we have holiness, those characteristics of God that, that none of the other living beings on this planet have. We have shared characteristics. The Imago Dei could be shared relationship, right? We walk in a personal relationship with God. After God created everything, what did he do in the Garden of Eden? He walked with Adam and Eve. He had relationship with them. And so the imago dei means that we have the ability to have relationship with God. And then the third idea of imago dei would be shared function. We do the work of God. We are God's partners. We were the ones who were given dominion over the earth. We were the ones who are meant to be an extension of God's kingdom on the earth, both being caretakers of the earth as well as extending his kingdom through sharing the gospel and changing lives. So the imago dei means we are partners with God. We carry the image of God. We carry the spirit of God within us. 
The second thing that makes us whole, let me just say the Imago Dei is foundational to understanding the dignity of every human life, regardless of class, ethnicity, gender, disability, the dignity of every human life. If we truly grasp the Imago Dei, there would be no racism. There would be no sexism. There would be no pushing certain groups of people to the side. There would be no looking at a certain person and saying, that person doesn't have as much value because they don't have as much function as me. All of that would be pushed aside if we fully grasped Imago Dei. The second word I want to share with you is formed. Right? It says, then God formed the man from the dust of the ground. All other creation, God spoke a word, and it was. Only with humanity did God form. And this Hebrew word for form literally refers to a potter, right? If you think about making pottery, and you've got the spinning wheel, and you've got the hands on the wet clay, and the hands are involved in intricately shaping that particular pot's. Isaiah said this, Lord, you are the father, we are the clay, you're our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Humanity was formed as clay in the potter's hand, and that separates us from all other creation. So let's go to Psalm 139, which is going to be our core passage today, and we're going to go through it kind of verse by verse as we make these different points today. But David wrote, For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. David recognized that there was a forming that takes place in the womb. Adam and Eve were the only human beings formed outside of the womb that we know about from the Genesis story. Otherwise, every other human being has the same potter's hands working within the womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it very well. And I find it interesting to go back and look at the book of Job because to the best of our knowledge, the book of Job is the only book in the Bible that's older than the book of Genesis. So the writer of the book of Job, who most likely was Job himself, would not have had the Genesis story to go by. He would have simply had his own relationship with God to go by. And those uh, people that he interacted with were in the same boats. So does the book of Job say the same thing as the book of Genesis? Listen to Job chapter 10. Job said, Your hands fashioned and made me altogether. Yet would you destroy me? Remember that you have made me as clay, yet would you turn me into dust again? Even Job, generations before Genesis was ever written, understood the forming of God in the work of humanity. Amen? So we have the Imago Dei. We alone amongst creation were formed in the potter's hands. And the third one is this, is breath. It says that God formed humans out of the dust of the ground and then breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. We have the breath of God, which uh, we know is the spirit of God. 
And so we were created to house the Spirit of God, and that separates us from all the rest of creation. Again, let's go back to Job. How did Job understand it pre-Genesis? He said, for as long as life is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils. What about his friend Elihu? Elihu said, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. We are brought to life by the Spirit of God, and we carry something different. So we carry the image of God, we carry the breath of God, and we carry the mark of God because we were formed by His hands. That is the reality of humanity and human life above all the rest of creation. So let's talk about the biblical perspective of life, and let's make sure that we see this with a biblical worldview. First and foremost, God is the creator of life. Anything that's alive, God created it. Isaiah 44, 24, Isaiah says, This is what the Lord says, He who is your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things. Jump to the New Testament. How did Paul write it? He said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Colossians 1.15. For by him, all things were created, both in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, right? We have been created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Every bit of life we have was created by God. Therefore, life is an act of God. Yes, there is science behind it. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But even the science that's behind it is an act of the hand of God, right? Life is the will of God. God decides where life begins and where life ends. And so what science calls natural selection is actually the moment of God's creative power. I want to take a minute just to nerd out on science, all right, if you'll allow me. I know some people are afraid of science because they feel like science pushes God out. I am not. When I study science, I'm even more in awe of the hand of God in creation and how he causes all things to work. For example, every human cell has a function called mitosis. What is mitosis? It's when a cell replicates itself. Right? So we have trillions of cells in the human body, and they are all replicating themselves. All right? And when a cell replicates itself, it creates a perfect match of all 46 chromosomes and then splits in half, and you now have two identical cells with the same chromosomes and the same DNA. Right? That's mitosis. All of the cells in the human body do that except one. The reproductive cell. When the reproductive cell splits, it doesn't do mitosis, it does meiosis. What's the difference? When it creates 46 new chromosomes, it doesn't create a perfect match. The pieces actually break apart and mix and match 
So the chromosomes, though they are similar, are a little bit different. And then instead of splitting into two, it splits into four. So there's only 23 chromosomes in each reproductive cell, which in the woman would be an egg and the man would be a sperm. So out of trillions of cells in our body that all do it exactly the same way except for one cell, why? Because that breaking apart, that mixing and matching is where the diversity of humanity comes in and all of us come out a little bit unique and a little bit different. Why? Because it's the beauty of the creative power of God. Come on. I like it. I don't know if you guys like it, but anyway, I think it's pretty cool. God is the creator of life. The second thing is this. Life begins at the moment of conception. And this is where the world is in an uproar. And I want to talk about this, but I want to talk about it in a very loving and a very honest way. Um, First off, here's the difficulty There is no single verse in the Bible that says this, that says life begins at the moment of conception. So you say, well, then how are you declaring it as a biblical worldview? Well, we're going to dig into that. But because there's no single verse, this is where this topic gets very difficult. A lot of people argue. A lot of people get up in arms. But here's what we need to understand. Nowhere in Scripture... Does it give us any demarcation line between an embryo, a child in the womb, or a child outside of the womb? For example, Luke, who, by the way, was a doctor, when he wrote his story of the life of Jesus, he used the same Greek word, brephos, to refer to John the Baptist in the womb, the baby Jesus just out of the womb, and young children that were coming to Jesus. The same word. There was no demarcation line. See, the problem is, is without a certainty, we are left to arbitrarily decide where life becomes valuable. And people have, throughout history, come up with arbitrary things. Life becomes valuable at implantation. Life becomes valuable at 14 days. Once it's 14 days, then it's valuable. In the old days, in the Middle Ages, I kid you not, they actually came up with a theory that for male fetuses, the life became valuable at 40 days of gestation, whereas for female fetuses, the life became valuable at 80 days of gestation. I don't know why. Right? Some people use the word viability, 24 weeks. Right? Some people say it's until it comes out of the womb. Some cultures give it another 30 days outside of the womb, which is why they commit infanticide, and they're okay with killing a live baby that's been born. So without a solid place where we can declare the absolute value of human life, People are arbitrarily left to decide things that make no sense scientifically. How can life suddenly matter at 24 weeks when it didn't matter at 23 weeks and 6 days? So let's dig a little deeper into Scripture. Again, we don't have one single verse that's going to make this, uh, this declaration for us. 
but we can dig into Scripture and understand where God is at work. For example, when the Virgin Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, and he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to conceive a child. And then she conceived that child. In Luke 1.39, it says, Now at this time, Mary set out and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now what do we know? We know that Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And at this point, we can only assume that Mary is only a few days pregnant. What happens? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. What do we take from that? That that baby Jesus was the Jesus that we know, fully God and fully human, within a few days of conception. So much so that another fetus in the womb was able to recognize the manifest presence of God in the home and leap for joy. A six-month-old fetus and a few-day-old embryo, and God was already moving. Are you guys with me? Let's go back to our core passage, which is Psalm 139. David writes in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. That being a poetic reference to the womb, that I was skillfully formed in the womb. Your eyes have seen my formless substance. My formless substance. When there was yet no form to the cells that were replicating in the womb of his mother, God already saw him. So again, where do we make the demarcation line if the Bible never gives us one except at the very moments that life happens and that life is possible, which is the moment of conception or another way to say it is the moment of fertilization. Let me give you a few other thoughts here. One is if we don't fully understand the teaching of the Bible, one of the best sources we can look to is the early church fathers. What did the very first church think? How did the very first church uh, interpret and decipher it? Because some of these early church fathers walked with the original apostles, or they were only one generation removed from the original apostles. One of those church fathers is Tertullian. What did Tertullian write? In approximately 150 A.D., we allow that life begins with conception because we contend that the soul also begins from conception. Life taking its commencements at the same moment and place that the soul does. Let me give you another way to think about it. So there's no demarcation line. There's no specific verse that says exactly when it happens. If that's the case, then shouldn't we cherish it 
from the moment it begins? Let's imagine that you were helping a friend move. And when you got to your friend's house, there was approximately 30 boxes already packed and taped and stacked in the living room. And your job was to help transport all of the boxes from the living room into the moving truck. But before you started moving the boxes, your friend says, I've got to tell you something. There is a vase or a vase, if you're fancy, that's been passed down through my, gener- my family for generations. It's a thousand years old. It's a family heirloom. It's priceless. And I put it in one of these boxes, and I forgot to mark which box. How are you going to approach that? Are you going to decide, you know what? Chances are that vase is going to be in one of the last 10 boxes I touch. So the first 20 boxes, I'm not going to treat with any care at all. And then the last 10, why would you do that? Why would you come up with an arbitrary line of demarcation? No, if you know there's something priceless in there, then you're going to treat every single box as if it has the vase in it. Every single box, you're going to be incredibly careful. Well, shouldn't we treat life the same way? If we don't know 100% for sure, then let's not make up an arbitrary line of demarcation. Let's treat life as incredibly precious from the very moment it starts so that we don't get it wrong. And again, I know that our culture is up in arms as we talk about abortion and IVF and all of these things that are going on. And and I make it very purposeful uh, to never get involved politically. I don't feel that's my calling. I don't feel that's my purpose. If that's your calling, God bless you. I will pray for you because that is a nasty, difficult realm to minister in. But I don't believe that politics changes people's hearts. I believe that truth and love and the goodness of Jesus changes people's hearts. And so when it comes to these topics, we don't attack them. We don't shame people. We don't call people murderers. No, when we approach these topics, we approach them with love and with grace and with the goodness of God. And if somebody has had an abortion... If somebody has considered abortion, if somebody's considering an abortion right now, we speak the truth in love in a way that would save that human life. Are you guys with me? Come on. Number three, God has a plan for every life. God has a plan for every life. Continuing in Psalm 139, verse 16, we left off saying, Your eyes have seen my formless substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Think about that. Before you ever had a single day of life, God already planned out your whole life. Now, I know this is where we live in the tension of the sovereignty of God versus the free will of humanity. Right? God planned out our whole life, wrote it all in a book, but that doesn't mean that we have to live that life. 
we can choose to reject God and to reject the life he has for us and to live a completely different life. But that doesn't change the fact that he planned one for you. You've already heard today Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. Right? He planned out a bunch of great works for us to do, and that's part of what makes our life incredibly valuable. So we've got to understand every day we have a choice. I'm going to live this day the way God wrote it, or I'm going to live this day the way I want to write it. But I tell you what, the way you want to write it will never be more healthy for you, more effective and powerful for the kingdom, better for your family, the way you write it will never be better than the way that God already wrote it. So we have to decide, am I going to live today the way God wrote it? Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Come on. Before God even started forming Jeremiah, God already knew Jeremiah. God already knew the way he wanted Jeremiah to be, the way his personality was going to be, the way his psychology was going to work and how his brain was going to tick, the way his body was going to look. God already knew before he even started forming. And before Jeremiah was even born, he already had a calling upon his life. Come on. And finally, I love this. God never stops thinking about us. God never stops thinking about us. Continuing in Psalm 139. How precious also are your thoughts for me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Come on, if you were to try to count the grains of sand on the beach, it's impossible. And that would be the same as trying to count how many thoughts God has about just you. And you're just one of like six billion people on this planet. God has that many thoughts about you. Bible says he was thinking about you before he even created the planet Earth. He was already thinking about you. He was thinking about you at that moment of life, that moment of conception when 23 chromosomes from your mom that he already mixed up and 23 chromosomes from your dad that he already mixed up and he brought them together. He was already thinking about just how you were going to look. He knew which zygote it was going to be. He was thinking about you as he formed you in the womb. He was thinking about you when you were born. He hasn't stopped thinking about you every day of your life and he won't stop thinking about you until the day you die, and then you'll be with him. Then we know he's not going to stop thinking about us. Come on. God never stops thinking about us. Whew. That's the truth of human life. So let's wrap this up. How do we put this into application? How do we live this out in our lives? So we have to have a worldview that God is intimately involved in the creation, formation, and planning of every human life. And that means even those that are disabled physically, 
are exactly what God wanted. And they still carry the Imago Dei. And God still wrote every day of their lives in his book. And they are still a treasure, a priceless treasure. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And what we call a disability or a handicap, God doesn't call it that. God is intimately involved in the creation, the formation, and the planning of every human life. Also, we understand that we are carriers of the image of God and the breath of God. Let's have the worship team come back up today. This means that every person from the moment of conception to the oldest of ages is priceless and precious. Every one of us. Also, how about this? Knowing God and being known by God is the greatest experience any creature could ever have. And it's our privilege. We were known by God before the moment of conception. And we get to know God in this life that we're called to live. So we put this into practice, number one, by viewing ourselves as just as valuable as God views us. Man, Fran, that was pure gold that you opened the service with today. That our outward appearance starts with our inward belief. I'm stealing that, man. I'm totally stealing that. That was so good. We need to start believing how precious we've been created to be. And if we'll start believing it on the inside, it'll change everything on the outside. Not only how we view ourselves, but we also begin to view others as just as valuable as God views them. That we look upon every person and see a priceless treasure. We don't see that person who's mentally ill and incoherent as somehow not having value. We don't see somebody of a different ethnicity as somehow not having value. We don't see that person who's homeless because maybe they made a bunch of bad choices in their life as somehow not having inherent value that we would view everybody as just as valuable as God views them. We put the sign up on the door so it would be the last thing you see every time you leave church is that every person matters. Every one of them has value and purpose. Every one of them had a life written out in God's book to live to the fullest. And if we would view ourselves this way and we would view others this way, it would then shape the way we treat ourselves and it would shape the way we treat others. And we would change the world, not through divisive Facebook posts, not through calling people names. We would change the world through loving people the way they've never been loved before. Because when we look upon them, all we can see is the Imago Dei that priceless treasure. I came to Christ because I had one friend named Bruce who wouldn't give up on me. And years later, when I was sitting down with Bruce, I asked him, I was like, dude, why did you not give up on me? I'd given up on myself. Everybody else had written me off. Why did you not give up on me? And I'll never forget it. He said, Aaron, because when I looked at you, all I could see was the great things that God could do with your life. And from the day I heard those words come out of Bruce's mouth, it's been the passion of my heart to try to see everybody with the eyes of Jesus like Bruce saw me. 
and we would begin to treat people differently. It also means that all life should be protected, nurtured, and cared for. One of the bad reputations that those of us that are pro-life have is that we will fight and scream and yell and argue to protect an unborn baby right up until that baby is born, and then we don't care anymore. Listen, if we are going to care for and protect the embryo and the fetus, then we also need to care for and protect the newborn, the infant, the toddler, the elementary kid, the middle school kid, the high school kid, the young adult, the adult, the kapuna, the elderly. You guys with me? Come on. If we're going to care for human life, we're going to care for all human life. So if God has called you to fight for pro-life issues, that's great. But we should also fight for the resources that infants that desperately need resources and that desperately need moms and dads to care for them. And we should fight for elementary school kids that desperately need people to teach them and mentor them and guide them. And we should fight for the elderly who are lonely and abandoned and need somebody to sit with them. If we're going to care about life, we got to care about all life. Come on. We can also find comfort in knowing that we're on God's mind today. No matter how bad your day is, no matter how dark of a hole your life is spiraled into, no matter how bad of a choice you made, no matter how difficult it is, right at that moment, you can remind yourself, God is thinking about me right now. And that will give you comfort. And that will give you strength to carry through. And then finally, take the calling of your life seriously. God wrote it just for you. He designed you perfectly for it. He knew what family he was going to put you into. Right? Can we declare that no child is valued by the conditions of their birth? whether their parents were married, unmarried, whether that child was conceived consensually or non-consensually, no matter what the ethnic mix of that child is, none of that determines the value of the child. The moment that child is born, that child was perfectly shaped and formed and created to live the very life that God wrote in his book for that child. So every one of us has a story written in God's book. And we should take that seriously. So we don't live today for ourselves. We live today to say, God, what did you write for me today? Who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to nurture? Who am I supposed to protect? Who am I supposed to value? Who am I supposed to share the gospel with? Who am I supposed to pray for? Who am I supposed to spend time with? Who am I supposed to laugh with? Who am I supposed to cry with? Who am I supposed to enjoy life with? God, what did you write for me today? And we would take our lives seriously. We wouldn't beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down. We wouldn't think that we are worthless and beyond redemption. We wouldn't think that we don't have something great to do today. No, we would say, I am a child of God. I carry the image and the breath of God. I am a treasure in the hand of God. And I have something great to do today that's going to change the world. That's what human life means. That's what a biblical worldview means. That's what we've been called to. Amen? Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that this word brings life to our spirits. I pray that it lifts up our countenance. I pray that it heals our hearts. I pray that it strengthens our character, God. 
But most of all, I just pray that it transforms us, Lord. God, not that it would give us nuggets to argue with, but it would give us a truth that changes us. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we would rejoice that we've been given this day. Tomorrow's not promised, but this day there is greatness to unlock. This day there is value to be lived out. This day I am a cherished child of God. And this day God wants to do something amazing in my life. This day God maybe wants me to rest. This day maybe God wants me to rejoice. This day maybe God wants me to praise. This day maybe God wants me to minister. This day maybe God wants me to intercede. All I know is that we are priceless immeasurably valuable and this day is priceless and immeasurably valuable and I pray Lord that none of us miss it I pray that this message this word this truth would go forth as good seed into good soil and it would change us Lord and we could never live the same again God mediocrity just wouldn't feel right anymore selfishness just wouldn't feel right anymore Uh, carnal pleasure and sin just wouldn't feel right anymore because I've been made for something so much more valuable. Jesus, shape our hearts, shape our lives. We thank you for this in your mighty name. Amen.